Star fruit? Doesn't it look kind of smartest star? fruit? Today we're talking about mindless zombies and <laughs> thinking fruit. So uh, there's a bit of a debate going on here in, in the studio. Yeah, I think jokes. I think it's egg pl- eggplants are As probably to the exactly fruit. what the smartest fruit is. But like, just picture a grape in your mind, like grapes. No, like a full thing of grapes. It, is you you view it it's, as it's one guy? It's intimidating. Like it's like a hive mind thing. Mm-hmm. I guess, it's intimidating. Like I feel so it, each individual grape has it's a very mind, intellectual, and then each all of the minds together are working. It's just to, one intellectual. It's one one mind. The grape, the whole bunch is one mind. I could make a Catholic metaphor, but I won't. <laughs> I think intelligent things taste bad, so I think Brussels sprouts are probably the most intelligent. So you, so knowledge to you is it's a vegetable. Distaste. Yeah, it's a vegetable. Vegetables. I've said like nothing but vegetables. Mm-hmm. Maybe just vegetables themselves. Yeah, like, we don't like eating each other, right? I feel like if we tasted good, we'd still be doing it. On today's episode, we are going to try and prove to you that fruits and vegetables, rocks and tennis rackets have minds. But we've got to start by figuring out just what exactly it is that separates us from zombies. Wait, are you saying that zombies exist? Um, it sounds like he's saying they exist. Uh, no, I'm not. Necess- not, not to- today is not that day. Uh, theoretically, we are going to we are going to talk about theoretical zombies. Oh, yeah. Which we need to make sense of how we are not zombies. So I guess I'm saying zombies don't exist. Theoretically. Theoretically. And why they don't exist? Theoretical zombies <laughs> exist. Um, so. This all has to do with brains, uh, but it's also something that's a bit bigger, or at least a bit different from brains. Something we call consciousness. <laughs> Deep breath. Riley inhaled sharply. Some of us like to think of consciousness and our brains as being the same thing, but actually not so much. Somewhere between them, a gap opens up a mile wide, and when we dive down into it and swim deep, We can start poking around under rocks and winding our way through dark caves to look for a real possibility for the existence of what we're calling the immortal mind or the soul. Awesome, I can't wait. Before we get started here, uh, James just wants to say uh, some some thanks, uh, issue some of our thanks to our our new patrons. Yeah, uh, we'd like to thank Ian, Kevin, and Corin on Patreon. Ian donated when we got the pledge right, so that was nice. Uh, if anyone else would like to issue us a Patreon challenge, uh, apparently we are open for business. Yes, yeah. Ian said if we could, uh, we t- mentioned this on the last episode, he said if we could get the uh, the pledge, we always mess up the pledge at the beginning, we the members, and he said if we could get it right, he would, he would make a donation, and, and so he did. So I guess if you would like to challenge us, yeah, just send us a message on Facebook Lead or with Twitter. the carrot, if you will. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Thank our, we'd like to thank our listeners on Stitcher who have pushed us past the 10,000 mark. Yes, we are officially as popular as my dog's podcast. <laughs> and we'd like to remind our iTunes listeners to give us a rating even if you just think we're okay. We're collecting stars and we'll take however many you're willing to give us. Yes, um, preferably three or more. Yes. Yeah, but we need as many stars as we can get so that um, we can get to heaven. Yeah, that's how we... Um, that's yeah, how you get to accept, heaven, yeah. yeah. If you have a podcast. My name is Rob Thompson. I am here with uh, Olivia Litterall. Hey! Grandmaster of our Secret Order of Alchemical Actors. Today we're talking big thoughts on what it means to be conscious. Joining us in discussion we have Riley Claxton. Hi! 
And James Caplangis. Greetings, Earthlings. This is the second part of our series on whether the soul is logically possible, here on Occult Confessions. We, the members of the Secret Order of Alchemical Actors, do solemnly commit ourselves to a full and honest telling of the history of the occult as far as we know it. Here's our thesis, our hypothesis for today. I love it when you get science. You are not your brain. Oh, great. Good let, to know. Let that sink in for a minute. Olivia's already got it. Yep. But for everyone else, Riley, James, let that sink in. You are not your brain. In modern society, we've sort of adopted this idea that we, the person we are, is actually this little version of ourselves inside a control room in our heads. Right. Right. Exactly. Feeling good about that. Pulling levers and flipping switches. Is this what's happening in your head right now? I, I don't think so. mine is moving fast enough. Mm. Nearly fast this enough. a little guy inside your head making all the things happen that go to make up your life. How your body interacts with the world. This little guy is flipping the switch. You move your arm. You move your leg. You look this way. You look that way. And that's how we think about the way we interact with the world. We think that deep down we're this person. This little voice in our head. This homunculus. Love that word. It's mm. such a good word. So a homunculus... Um, so, what does that mean? Yeah, what is, what is that? <laughs> Please. I was just trying to <laughs> nod. And, <laughs> like, oh, yeah, homunculus. Yeah, I, I sort of preempted the question. I could see it on your faces. Uh, a homunculus uh, is, is, just, is exactly what we're talking about here. It's this little being manipulating a sort of inert manner, uh, matter to do as it pleases. So your body would be the inert matter that is manipulated by the little tiny homunculus voice or spirit. The body itself has no mind or spirit of its own. I am the homunculus. You are the homunculus, mm. and you aren't your body. There's a separation there. Yeah. Which is why it's interesting My new Instagram you, bio. Yeah, you when you bring the Kabbalah body. into it, and then you're like a channel for magical energy, so. Cool. Yeah. Maybe some of you can hear just how strange all of this sounds when I put it this way. James? Uh, now, um, now that you say it, I guess I, I really should reevaluate my life, but yeah. Is, they told me in elementary school that I was just a guy pulling levers in my head, telling my brain what to do to my body. And what did you say? I said, right on. That's <laughs> how I'm going to think about it for the rest of my life until Rob tells me otherwise. Orthodox Greeks. Did you go to public school? No. Let's start with a little Latin phrase that gives us a sense of where we got this idea in the first place. It's a cogito ergo sum. The motto comes yes. from Rene Descartes. Uh, means I think, therefore I am. He lived from 1596 to 1650. That means he was just a little kid when Shakespeare died, but he was dead himself a year before Louis the Fourteenth took the throne in France and did things like you know build Versailles and you know dance casual. the ballet. <laughs> uh, he lived at the same time as Moliere and Corneille for my theater fans. It was the heyday of Europe's colonization of the Americas, uh, pretty much in the space between the Renaissances and the Enlightenment. In addition to being a philosopher, he was also an astronomer. He was a scientist, even though we sort of didn't have a category for scientist at this point in history. And he was a mathematician. He is the inventor of modern geometry. Ew. That's, I think that's, that's really cool. PTSD. Yeah. Descartes' rule of signs, the Cartesian, you know what's what, it James? called? It's, <laughs> the Cartesian, what's it's called? It's Yeah, that's the that's what we call it. The in, coordinate. In the math tutorial. That's what I called it. <laughs> in the math, yes. James is a math fan. That Woo. shouldn't even, don't, you shouldn't need to say that. <laughs> <laughs> Math fan. Um, 
He's a major dude, Rene Descartes, which is why he gets his own adjective, Cartesian, the Cartesian coordinate plane. With the X and Y axis. Right. Ah. Good stuff. Like Aristotelian, Platonic, Marxist, all these are major dudes, get their own major dude adjective. Uh, In theater and performance, we have Brechtian. There's a big abstraction uh, we also call Cartesian in addition to the Cartesian coordinate plane. And that abstraction is dualism. Ooh. Cartesian dualism. Ooh. And this. <laughs> we need a, yeah, we need some music. You're like you're the Cartesian fangirls. Yes. Ooh. We're one of the woo girls. girls. We're the woo girls. The woo girls. Uh, this is the idea girls that I am a Cartesian. mind and a body. I am both a mind and a body. I am not a mind body or a body mind. I am two things. It's a uniquely Western idea. It goes all the way back to the cogito argument. Descartes uh, said that the only thing we can be sure of is that we think. I think, therefore, I am. For all we know, we could just be brains in jars dreaming the world. Or as Descartes said, the world itself could be an illusion conjured by some mischievous demon or evil genius. What? Would that really be that bad, though? This is what Rob told his baby when I came into the world. Yeah, I just wanted to the let The origin know, story. Down my <laughs> Before we this get world started is just here, an illusion. it's entirely possible that Before this could all be an illusion. <laughs> I mean, I've told you multiple times that this is all a hologram being projected from the moon by the reptilians. So you're just, fitted into you're just every feeding episode. into what I already think. See if you can get them to bump us past 5,000 on Stitcher. I'm working on it, but they're really busy trying to eat us, so. Can we have a Patreon part of just, we clip out all of the times she's <laughs> mentioned reptilians throughout the podcast and we put it all together in that one? That is an intensive job, Riley. I'm glad you volunteered to do that. Don't encourage me. Evil henchman! Yes, evil genius! I'd like to do something evil. <gasps> Oh, what were you in the mood for? Uh, um, well, what have you got? We could manipulate the weather. What for? For global domination. A whole globe? Hmm, sounds like too much work. Oh, I've got it. I've got this brain I've been keeping in a jar. Let's make it think things that aren't really there. Is that evil? It's pretty evil. So, so everything that happens in the brain's imagination will be terrible, like, like an extended nightmare of horrors and pain. Well, some things will be painful, like falling off bicycles and getting dumped by your eighth-grade girlfriend. Okay. But some things will be good, like ice cream and puppies. What? And some things are neither here nor there, like uh, car tires and. Aluminum siding, but but I don't think you're getting the evil part. None of it's real. None of it at all. <laughs> okay, let's do that, I guess. Cool. If everything were made up by such a genius, how would we know? All we can know is that we know, that we think. I think, therefore I am. This leads us to make a kind of wild conclusion that many of us actually hold deep down, even though we're not aware of it. We think that we are not our bodies. <laughs> Is that funny to you, Olivia? <laughs> I, philosophy after, like, no sleep is fun. Is philosophy. Yeah. I, um, yeah, okay. We're not our bodies. If Got you it. lost an arm, are you still you? 
And me without an arm. You without an arm. What if you lost the use of your arms and your legs? Then someone needs to just take me out, because... <laughs> no, don't say that, Olivia. You'd still be fun. I'd, I'd still hang out with you. What, okay. You just What would we do, James? Just Watch TV, I guess. Oh. You could go I could places. feed you. That sounds great. Riley's going to feed me and James. Would still be us. TV. What if you were blind and deaf? Are you still you? You are. Yeah. What if you were born without a face? Oh. What do you like, mean? It's like it's like a more like a like a like uh, somehow you are blank from the neck up. Like you're just my blank. An X Men. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. The way you interact right. with the world is different. <laughs> but but are you're not different. you still you? I would be different, maybe. But I guess I would you? still. I would be conscious. Would you be I, not James? How do you define you James? Yeah, I, Rob, I need you to tell me what how I do you am. Define, <laughs> how, tell me what I am now. In the Western world, we tend to think, yeah, I'm still me. Even without the arm, even without both arms, even without both legs, even without the eyes, even without the ears, there's still a me in there, inside this vessel. I'm not my body. But actually, you kind of are your body. If you were blind or became blind, or if you lost the use of a limb... This completely shapes the way you engage yeah. with and think about the world. Right. Right? So we were you all... guys were sort of anticipating this yeah. line of thought. If you're missing a leg, for example, stairs take on a new meaning. Mm -hmm. uh, but also escalators and chairs and stools and shoes and soccer balls. Which changes who you are. Changes your identity. You would experience a soccer ball differently than someone with two legs. Your experience of the world becomes something new, which then makes you something new. So maybe you're not as separate from your body as we tend to think. Let me invoke the work of Alva Noe, one of my favorite contemporary philosophers. That's a great name. Yeah. Sounds Smart like a philosopher. <laughs> Alva Noe. He argues in a book that I recommend to our listeners because it is very accessible. Not all of his books are necessarily very accessible. He is a philosopher after all. But he has a book mm. called Out of Our Heads. Um, and he argues in this book that consciousness arises through a joint operation between our bodies, our brains, and the world. He says we do well to think about the brain like a musical instrument. It's a great metaphor. The musical instrument doesn't create music on its own. He's talking about the brain here, not the body. The brain is the musical instrument. The brain does not act on its own. It needs a musician, a player. We play our brains as instruments that help us to engage with and make sense of the world. And our brains can't play themselves. Let's think about the act of seeing. We use our brains to make sense of our visual field, which we experience through the physical apparatus of our eyes. Our eyes, our body, are very specific organs that can see a certain depth and range of the world around us and a particular spectrum of colors. There are more colors than we can physically see, right? Just mm. as there's more space than our eyes can see at a time. That's easier oh, yeah. for us to grasp, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. We don't see all the space around us. Like, there's a whole bunch of space behind me right now that I can't see, but it's there. Because we're predators. we got eyes in the front of our face. Eyes in the front of our face that have limitations to them, which then shape the way I experience the world. They shape our conception of what can be seen and what it means to see. They don't do any thinking on their own, our eyes, but we can't think about sight or what it means to see without them. They shape vision. Our bodies determine the possibilities available for us to interact with and make sense of the world around us. One leg or two legs or three legs. 
one eye or two eyes or colorblind eyes. The world is a different place and we are different people because of the way our bodies function. They shape the way our brains understand. The same goes for the world our gaze falls on. What if, uh, what if we were seeing, but there was nothing to look at? What if we existed in a world without light? Or if there was nothing to see with, what would the experience of sight be like? The brain's job is to make sense of what we're seeing so that we can move through it or choose another means of engaging with the world. Is that a lion over there? And is that lion a threat to my life? Or is it just a painting on the wall? Or is it just a shadow cast by some harmless shrubbery? Could be any of these things. Our visual experience in concert with our brains working through the world is making sense of things we aren't this little person you should be suspicious anytime you hear someone on the news or some infotainment program which we are not infotainment no not <laughs> infotainment we are info yes also some tainment hopefully yeah make a statement but we're not infotainment no we're above that it's like hyphenated right <laughs> <laughs> information entertainment yes incorporated TM. TM. <laughs> <Damn> <laughs> when you hear someone on the news or some infotainment program below the level of occult confessions make a statement about what the brain does, you need to spe- be suspicious. People like to use phrases like the brain sees color like this or the brain interprets music like that. The brain's not doing that. No. We are. Right. We with our bodies. We playing our brains what? as musical instruments. All right, let's uh, shift gears. Uh, we're going to wind our way around to the theories of David, David Chalmers on the philosophy of consciousness. Major guy uh, in the last 20, 30 years in the way we think about so how cool. the conscious brain works. Okay, but before we get to Chalmers, first we just talk about this guy, Francis Crick, who you may have heard of as the co-discoverer of DNA with James Watson, Rosalind Franklin, and Maurice Wilkins. He has since made a foray into neuroscience, and in the early 1990s, he made the argument along with uh, co-neuroscientist Christoph Koch that neural oscillations in the cerebral cortex, I promise we won't do this for very long, (laughs) seemed to match up with an individual being or becoming aware of experiences of sight or smell. I have no idea what you just said. (laughs) Um... It's a binding process is what they're trying to say. Binding is how we bring together separate ideas about an object into one thought. Um, The red strawberry is delicious. So we have this object, strawberry, the separate concepts about it are that it is red and that it is delicious. Binding happens in our brain in this way they're talking about um, with these neural oscillations to bring these thoughts together. So when we interact with the strawberry, those facts are available to us. So, uh, developing an abstract concept or awareness of a sensation and binding sensations together is um, not the same as experiencing those sensations, though, is is the point we want to get around to. That could be a bad thing. Yeah, it's like how racism happens. Yeah. (laughs) Absolutely. Oh, yes. Um, Or any, I mean, it's just basically how your mind works. So any good or bad thought you might have. Right, you could just bind together Is the result of binding, yeah. Judgment in general. Mm -hmm. Uh, The neuroscientific argument is that your experiences can all be reduced down to the firing of electrical impulses in your brain, as in this binding. Seeing the color is the same as the firing of particular impulses in particular parts of the brain that relate to the experience of seeing that color. I don't buy that. But then how do we know our own thoughts are true? If that's all that's happening, 
If, if all that's going on up there is just chemicals firing off, then how can what I'm saying, how can I trust what I'm saying? How can I trust that it's true if that's all that's simply happening? I'm sorry, that just annoys me. Yeah, can you just keep going with that idea? That, I'm, I'm that if... I'm trying to latch on your... That if my brain is all I am, if that's it, if, if this is just my brain, then... The evil genius theory. Yes. Then right. it was never meant for thinking in a way, if that makes any sense. Sorry, I'm just... You mean like, independent thought? Yeah. Yes, that it's simply just... Organic matter it's simply doing its just thing. chemistry and, yeah. and things firing off and chemicals. So, so you're saying if how that's, can you trust So, so how can anything okay. that I'm saying, how can I trust any of that to be true if this is simply just all that's happening? It's well, like th- I don't if think I, it's, it's not true because we ruminate and we make things mm-hmm. up all the time about you know what we think people think about us and, and all that's Fine. not real and not based in reality or observations. But we do have a lot mm-hmm. of reality that happens through our... But what I'm trying to say is, like, if I took your 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 cup here and I, it's like expecting me to take that cup and spill it over, and it creates a map of this campus. If that makes any sense, it's just a bunch of stuff going on in here. So how can I trust any of that to to be true or what I'm talking about to make any kind of sense if all that's all that's happening? Let's see if we can work our way around. Yeah. yeah. Sorry. <laughs> no, it's good. This is good. Yeah. Um, I'm going to borrow a bit from the philosopher Thomas Nagel here, who's one of my favorites. Also another favorite of mine. So uh, this whole series, these are all my favorite philosophers. <laughs> I love all of these guys. Um, he says um, that the way we need to think about this is uh, through the problem of water being H2O. So the neuroscientific argument is that electrical impulses are your thoughts. And Nagel says they are, but not in the way that water is H2O. So what is H2O? What does that mean? Sick chemical dihydrogen monoxide yes two parts hydrogen right yes one One part part oxygen oxygen. is water if you do that with molecules you literally have water yeah Yeah. but just the basic form of water not water as we know of all the minerals and whatnot (laughs) fair enough yeah um but (laughs) the point he's making is that when you say water is h2o you that's correct that is a correct statement both things describe the same thing when you say that the firing of neurons um, in your brain is your thought, it's actually not the same thing. No, because you can observe that, right? Well, and because they're literally two different things. A physical event in your brain and the thought are not, right? You're thinking, and that's not the physical firing. They're not literally the same thing. There's an event happening in your brain, of course, when you're thinking. But that's not the same as the thought that you're having. The thought that you're having yes. is your thought. It's in your head. It's not a firing. Of, do you see what I mean? Yes, exactly. absolutely. So you can't They're even different. use the whole, like, you know, your thought is just firing in your brain to prove that. Because you're proving yourself wrong by trying to prove the fact that <laughs> that your thought is simply, you know, that firing in your brain. Because you're saying that that's all it is. If it's, that's all it is, then you're not... Yeah. <laughs> Even if there's a causal relationship between the firing of the neurons in your brain and the experience, the experience is not the same as the physical action in your brain. Let's, let's take a moment for Mary. Okay. This is the Mary Thought Experiment. Hi, I'm Dr. Mary M. Nerdpants, neuroscientist and color expert. I know everything there is to know about what it's like to experience the color red. 
I've memorized a full list of things are read and conducted complete chemical and subatomic analyses with reference to wave functions of how the color red manifests in the world. But here's the deal. Mary has lived all her life in a black and white laboratory and has never actually seen the color red. She knows everything there is to know about the color, but she doesn't know what it's like to see it. So one day, Mary finds her way out of the lab in an effort to complete her full study of the color red. Immediately, she encounters a big red balloon. She sees the color red for the first time, and it introduces new information, new knowledge and understanding into her life. Oh, wow. I, I mean, it's, it's just so red. The thought? Oh, it's like going to school and learning about business. Well, but then once you're to... in it, the experience of it. Right, I'm trying to compare it to which one is the brain different. and which one's the thought. The firing of the neurons theoretically is this all this information that right. she has about the color red. And then actually the thought is actually experiencing Actually red for experiencing the first time. it is a separate yes. thing. Okay. Right. It, there's something new, something different about yeah. experience. Even though she knew everything about it was like about what it was like to see the color red. The experience of the color is adding something, changing something about her store of knowledge. There's something about experiencing things in the world that we can't reduce down to an explanation of the brain states those experiences cause. Mary knows everything about the neural firings that happen when you see the color red. She's memorized this stuff. It's in her head. But she doesn't understand the color red fully until she sees it. There's some new information she gets when she actually encounters the color itself. It happens all the time. It's just like, you know, oh, well, you'll understand it. You just got to do it. Or you'll Experience get, yeah. is the best teacher. That's just, just like a common saying. Yeah, exactly. That's... Knowing the brain state is not the same as knowing the color. This is what David Chalmers calls the hard problem. And it's been a source for some hot and heavy debate through the 90s and up to the present day. A word about sources here before we venture down this rabbit hole. David Chalmers is a philosopher's philosopher, um, for reals, so... Uh, hard to read. <laughs> um, not the hardest. <laughs> but hard. But yeah, not, not, not light reading. Um, I'm more an anthropologist and a historian. Uh, I can read Chalmers, but it takes some patience on my part. If you want to go deep right away, uh, I suggest you his classic defense of a non-physical basis for consciousness, and that's his book, The Conscious Mind, from 1996. You might hate yourself mind. while you're reading it, like I did. <laughs> oh, did, did you read it? Oh, I mean, maybe half of it. Okay. <laughs> and then that's set impressive. it on fire, <laughs> essentially. <laughs> Um, it's also a bit old, a bit dated, uh, but the ideas are still relevant. It's a great way to really get a handle on this side of the argument. However, if you want a slightly gentler descent into the intensity of his theory, I'd suggest um, the book Explaining Consciousness, The Hard Problem, um, which a bunch of smart people, including Chalmers and uh, Crick, debate his ideas in a series of essays. It's sort of a lighter way to do this. Some of those essays are also pretty dense and difficult, but some of them are very accessible and easy to read. Okay, so let's get down to his ideas now. Chalmers asks us to imagine a zombie. Ah, at last, the, the zombie. Zombies. Oh, the theoretical zombie. The theoretical zombie who does not experience things. So he says, imagine a zombie who doesn't have experiences, who interacts with the color red, but has no sense of what the color red is like. 
zombie goes around seeing things, interacting with things, but is not experiencing any of it. Like Wait, a robot? how is he not experiencing yes. it if like it's a... happening? It's happening, um, but they, it, the zombie doesn't have any sense, any feelings about what anything is like. Like a computer? Like a, a robot, yeah. Like a robot. Yeah. A robot. But does that like mean that they're not experiencing it? Um, they're not reflecting. They're not right. having thoughts on what's that, happening. Feelings, impressions I, about it. Because there's but, nothing deeper there. Right. They're just right, seeing. They're seeing the color, but there's no impression of the color. Just but even data. though you don't understand something, I feel like you can still experience something. We do it's it every day. Experiencing in the way that we're talking about experience, as in. I know what you're saying. You're making it a reflective thing. Like he can't put. He doesn't understand what is. Well, it's not even about understanding. It's about experience. There's no feeling of what it's like to experience the thing. I, I, have a, I don't have, like, strong feelings about touching this bench in front of me here. But I do have a feeling. I know what it's like. I can say this is smooth. I can say uh, it feels like other things I've touched, etc., etc. But he's imagining a world in which we have zombies that don't have these experiences. They just go through and interact with things. They don't that know don't what it literally... feels like. Yeah. But they... They don't have reflections on them. They're not able to reflect on them. Just go with me, man. He says that our conscious experience of the world can be split up into two parts. Psychological, part number one, and phenomenal. Let's talk about the psychological first. This will help, Olivia. The psychological are behavior-based. This is our ability to process information we take in through our five senses and do something about it. These psychological experiences don't raise any questions for us because we know why we have them. Uh, they have an obvious function in the world to help keep us alive and out of trouble. I think these are the experiences you're talking about. Stimulus response. Stimulus response, yeah. Okay. I see a red traffic light, and that signals, me, signals to me that the traffic pattern at the intersection has changed. And so I stop my car in front of the light. I see a red strawberry, and I ident identify it as food, and I eat it. Food, good, eat, survive. Good job. Thanks. <laughs> Our ability to make sense of things in this way is purely functional. And it's a nice and logical... Uh, it's not hard to explain why we would have these things. Very logical, evolutionary, you know, logic that makes good sense. If as beings to survive, we need to be able to process information in this way and respond to stimuli as it occurs to us. But there's this other far less useful thing that comes along with our psychological experience. And that's phenomenal experience. That's what we're coming around to with these zombies, Olivia. Phenomenal. Who's to say you can't eat the strawberry and then identify it as food if your brain works that way? It's fine to identify it as food, but what's not necessary is that we should have any feelings about that food, any reflection on that food, any thought about what it's like to have a strawberry. It's not even like good for our survival, really, to have food preferences. Mm. We should just eat food. Right. Right. It's like, oh, like I see a, I see a strawberry, and I'm like, you know, it'd be nice to have a fruit, like a summer salad, you know. <laughs> but right. what like, if instead I see a strawberry and I think, huh, that's weird. What's this? And I pick it up and I decide to take a bite, and then I say, oh, it's food. Psychological, like not a baby. phenomenal. After you take that bite, you're going to say, that was good, or that was bad, or mm -hmm. I'd like to do that again, or I wouldn't like to do that again. All that's fairly useless. Why would we need to know what it's like to eat a strawberry? All we need to know is that we have to eat it to survive. Mm -hmm. We might need to know the difference between good and, you know, food that's edible and things that aren't edible, but this is all functional. We're not even, we're talking about the qualitative difference between 
all things that are edible. Strawberries, blueberries. We know which ones we prefer on which days. Maybe James feels like a blueberry on Wednesday and a strawberry on Thursday. This is useless. There's no reason why we should have these preferences. Mm -hmm. We can imagine a world full of zombies having psychological experiences that are not accompanied by these phenomenal experiences we're talking about. Do I have you along for the ride now, Olivia? Yeah. They go through life stopping at red lights and eating strawberries like they're supposed to. But all this action takes place in the dark, so to speak. There's no inner light, no experience that these zombies are having of what it's like to stop at red lights. Oh, this red light's annoying. And what it's like to eat strawberries. Oh, this strawberry is overripe. It's Mary, knowing all of the things about red and knowing all of that, but never having to experience Never having experienced that thing. Let's hear from some zombies. (laughs) The life form sees the light. The life form stops the motor car when the light is red. Input red. Output stops the motor car. The life form sees the berry like food item. The life form eats the berry like food item. Eating the berry like food item fuels the life form. Input food item. Output survival. Does the zombie like the strawberry? What's his like? The food item sustains the life form. Does the zombie want to survive? What is want? The life form maintains biological processes until the life form can no longer function. Our zombies might sound familiar, as Riley was pointing out. These days, we call them artificial intelligence. 21st century robots and supercomputers don't have thoughts and feelings the way we do. And super annoying because we're always saying that they think, that robots think. They don't actually think. They utilize complex algorithms to complete tasks on an input-output basis. Think about the computers designed to win at chess or the Chinese game of Go. They process the move made by their opponent through an incredibly large series of calculations in order to determine the best possible move given the probability Even if these machines learn from game to game, the act of learning is just improving the computer's database of what the human's most probable move will be. Yeah, the computer's not like, I don't like the cut of this guy's chin. (laughs) Right, Right. or uh, this move uh, is not fair, or this move is is not challenging enough, right? (laughs) I want to challenge myself. A computer's not going to say that. The computer's just trying to try to find the best move. That's what it's learning, learning how to do in quotation marks. Kasparov, the famous chess player, isn't playing against a self-aware android, which is the way we tend to think about these supercomputers. He's playing against a very sophisticated calculator, essentially performing a task about which it has no feelings whatsoever. The computer doesn't jump up and down and scream when it wins. It doesn't kick over the board when it loses. It doesn't want to win. It just wants to complete the game as it was instructed. We, on the other hand, do have feelings. That computer is really just a fancy lawnmower. The lawnmower doesn't want to cut the grass. That's just what it does when we use it. So why aren't we more like lawnmowers? I ask myself that all the time. We have alterity. Yes. By that you mean? Well, we can choose things. Yeah, and a a deep fundamental difference, right? A deep hiddenness, a secretness this consciousness. If we can function just fine as physical organisms, though, if we can survive in the physical world without experiencing anything, this alterity Riley speaks of, why would our design include this extra experience stuff? The explanation must rest somewhere outside the physical world. Dun, dun, dun. That's the Law and Order theme song. Never mind. (laughs) (laughs) 
Let's go through it in four steps. Step one, we know it's true that we experience things, that we know what it's like to eat stuff and see stuff. Step one. Step two, it's logically possible to imagine a physical world functioning just fine without knowing what it's like to eat stuff and see stuff. That doesn't mean that we aren't eating stuff and seeing stuff. Those activities are necessary to our survival, but we don't have to experience them and have feelings about them. We don't have to know what it's like to do them. We just have to be able to do them. Step three. So facts about what it's like to experience stuff, like eating and seeing, must be somewhere beyond or outside of facts about the physical world. You see what I mean? I guess. <laughs> it seems like, I don't know. We have these experiences that aren't helpful to us on a physical basis. We could get through as these physical zombies without these experiences. Mm -hmm. So that means that these experiences must have some meaning or purpose or role outside of the physical world. Because we don't like need them to interact with the physical world. Step four, materialism is false. <laughs> Our physical brains cannot fully explain our extra physical experiences. Riley's doing a dance, an extra physical experience dance. <laughs> and so there must be some sort of unknown psychophysical laws. Metaphysical. Psychophysical. 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 So what could these laws be? Tracking these down is a truly complex and mysterious process. They could sit somewhere in the world of quantum mechanics, for example. Oh, please, no. We're not going there today. Thank you. But we are going there eventually. Guys. Yes. Uh, the teeny tiny atomic and subatomic worlds that Olivia truly apparently loathes <laughs> are full up. of funky happenings that lead physicists to wonder if there are parallel universes, for example. Um, so maybe the mystery of consciousness is somehow tied to those mysteries. Again, we're leaving that question for another day. You guys can come back and do quantum consciousness with me. Great. Um, today I want to close by considering one particular theory in the metaphysical and philosophical spirit of the criticisms that we've heard so far from Noe and Chalmers. Um, and this is um, panpsychism. Any guesses on what panpsychism is? It's when you think everything at once. <laughs> it sounds really painful, actually. Uh, it's my worst guess. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks for putting the effort in. If pan normally means like... All, yeah, all of the things. All, James is on the right track here. I'm a linguist. <laughs> he's, a, he's a cunning... Is this like, oh, no. Are we all on the same... I don't know. Wavelength? I'll just give it away. Uh, we're borrowing here from our last philosopher for the day, and that is William Seeger. Panpsychism is the argument that everything in the world mm -hmm. and in existence is conscious. So, James, oh. you were close. But oh, sweet. Yeah, not, not that we are having all thoughts at the same time, but that all things are able to think. This includes the traffic Suck light that we day. talked about. It includes the <laughs> strawberry that we talked about. Includes what? The what, what did Olivia do? What did I do? <laughs> you lost. I won. I did. And now she can suck it. Every time James wins, apparently, apparently it's a loss. For I you. didn't know we were competing. I've had everything. I'm trying to take your job. That, oh. I told you. Oh. <laughs> so the strawberry is consciousness. The squirrel who eats the strawberry is consciousness. The coyote who eats the squirrel. Everything has consciousness. Every step along the chain, from the tiniest atom on up, has some mental component to it if it's living no. no traffic lights rocks everything 
tennis rackets. See, this is like literally one of my biggest fears. Ooh. <laughs> is that this is an actual thing and this whole time we've been alive. Dolls. We've just don't even go there. But like yeah, this idea that like what if like all of like every time I sit in this chair, what if this chair is like F you Olivia? Why'd you sit in me? Like you know? All and like the more things reason feel to sad when I go to, to the store and I don't stuff. pick them. Yeah. Yeah. I always oh. thought that when I was little I was like, Oh I feel so yeah dolls and toys especially yeah anyway but that's not exactly what we're saying here yeah. we're not we're not proving that woody can <laughs> walk and talk <laughs> toy story you're not real. but because <laughs> they're not like us let's start the argument um imagine we're putting together a brain we start Ooh. yeah we're gonna assemble a brain here so put your put your, put your gloves on like the Snap. edible models now yeah. you ed- would like you know make like dna models Oh, yeah, but this will be more fun. We can bring out some. Yeah, it's going to be really fun. I want to make a real brain. (laughs) Okay, let's start real small with a tiny amoeba-sized brain. Little microorganism. Um, It certainly isn't conscious the way we are. There's an amoebas have little brains. They do little amoeba things. Um, I guess we wouldn't call them brains, but, you know, they're, they're able to accomplish tasks, and there's some sort of... They have functioning organs. They're, they're right. functional, yeah. Organelles. So, uh, and, and we, theoretically, evolutionarily, began as these microorganisms. Uh, it's difficult to imagine that amoeba having preferences or experiences the way we do, though. So let's, let's just add a little bit, just a little bit, to that brain. And we get something like algae. Your favorite? Mm. Bloom. Blooming sea organism? Loves, yep. Water Maybe not organism. my favorite, but it's up there. Uh, top does, 10. Does algae, top 10. Does algae <laughs> have likes? I'll, I look forward to hearing that, that, that list. Does <laughs> algae so have likes and dislikes? They like the sun. Does it have a crush on the cute starfish, though? I hope so. Does it prefer this tide pool to that tide no, pool? No, because they're not uh, as egotistical as us. Right, but you're, you're right, James, to a certain extent. Plants do mm. have more, or algae as a, as a kind of photosynthesizing being, right, as preference for the sun, um, but not to the degree that we have preferences. So mm. so let's go back and, and let's go back to the laboratory and add just, just a bit, just, just a little <laughs> bit more to our hypothetical brain. We get an oyster. Any preferences mm. yet? You know, I feel, I'm thinking about this preferences stuff, I feel like they do have preferences. I feel like if they didn't have preferences, especially plants and stuff, we'd be able to, you know, um, accurately guess everything that they would do. Or like an amoeba. We know the track it's going to take across our microscope if we, if, if it's if they don't have preferences. They have tiny little preferences. Functional. Yes. They do. They have tiny preferences. We're like, what are you doing, dude? Not nearly on the complexity amoeba? of ours, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, so as we move from algae to oyster to crab to rockfish through the entire Chesapeake Bay's ecosystem... This is for our local (laughs) Maryland listeners, Uh, Terrapin the Heron. Um, At what stage do we say a creature now is conscious, though? So as James is talking about, there may be preferences, but functional preferences. When do we have consciousness? Which of these creatures is then conscious? At what point do we say the creature has become conscious? Or woke, as we like to say. (laughs) Right. When does it become woke? (laughs) When I drop a few brain cells into the oyster to get the crab, is that when consciousness suddenly swings into being? Or when we drop a few brain cells into the heron to get the primate, also uh, native to the to the Chesapeake Bay, chimpanzees? Um, is that for real? No, it's not. Okay. Of course it's not. Yeah, we don't have monkeys up Fake here. News. We are the monkeys. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> and if these brain cells are all physical and consciousness is non-physical, where does it come from? Let's think about a baby, my little baby, Karen back at home. 
Aww. Male baby. Did consciousness just fly into her developing head somewhere during her growth in, in Katie's womb? It happens in the birth canal. It's magic. It That's happens when it in goes, the birth canal. <laughs> well, pops right when in. When we went into the room, um, you know, in that period of time when she was born and you were sleeping and we uh-huh. taught her Oh, you were teaching heads, her all those songs. Yeah, yeah. yeah, we also sprinkled a little bit of You sprinkled some consciousness, consciousness. on her. Some yeah. divine consciousness. So you are the sand man of consciousness. <laughs> yes. And you, it's sprinkled on. Billions of human beings on earth, you Mr. are going around Simon. Santa Clausing them with magic consciousness. It's been passed down. Dust. Whoa, whoa, we're going to have to pay royalty on that. If you yeah, that is. Yeah, spies it. for Mascap everywhere. So, um, <laughs> really though, this is the question. If the baby isn't conscious at some point in the early zygoteness of it, when does the baby become conscious? When does that consciousness suddenly pop into the baby's head? I'll prove this another way. If you believe in the well-documented theory of evolution, all of us have evolved up from those little amoebas. At what point did consciousness suddenly swoop down into our heads? It's fundamentally illogical that my baby should just suddenly, consciousness should just pop into her head. No, it makes like no sense. Present, right? So if consciousness doesn't swoop into our heads as we are physically evolving or physically developing in mom's womb, then it must have been there the whole time. So all these all these cartoons, I got uh, Osmosis Jones and all this stuff taking place inside of our bodies or white blood cells having preferences and stuff, that's not too far off of the mark. Not according to panpsychism. If this is all illogical the way we're talking about, then consciousness must be a fundamental property of everything everywhere so what about non-living things we're talking was, about this yeah, living yeah. life I was right about like to say, they're so, going but yes. how does my how does this evolve because how are these, these technically evolving? my baby is composed of non-living atoms in molecules organic, yeah. inorganic stuff yeah. that suddenly becomes conscious i mean i am yeah, we all crazy. are and so everything must be conscious mm-hmm. traffic lights tennis rackets the whole nine yards so consciousness isn't an argument for living in this, you can't use consciousness as an argument for something being alive. Right. Consciousness is everything that is. Everything that exists. So, uh, but Olivia's worried about how the chair feels about her. Why doesn't my coffee <laughs> table suddenly suddenly decide that it wants to, that doesn't feel like holding my teacup today and just buck it off onto the floor? Yeah, I really feel like, yeah. Why doesn't the traffic light decide to light up all three lamps to flirt with the billboard across the street? Why doesn't the strawberry roll off the table and take itself for a walk? You had a lot of fun writing that, didn't yeah, you? Yeah, I did. <laughs> the argument goes <laughs> that there are varying levels of consciousness. More complex systems like our human brains, which include the already complex systems of animal brains, are capable of exhibiting higher functions of consciousness, like preferences and choices. Aristotle said, right, we have the plant brain and the animal brain and the human rational brain. Less complex systems like gravel and kumquats are less capable. Kumquats. Yes. The funniest of fruits. They really are. They are less capable of displaying these preferences. Rocks exhibit no preferences. Plants, as James is pointing out, have some preferences. Which shape they grow in. Which direction they grow in. Animals have lots of preferences. My dog won't eat dinner unless we bribe her. With treats. <laughs> with other, with dessert? Yes, yes. with cheeses and things. Um, she, yes. And humans have far too many preferences. <laughs> so you can see the scale of preferences, but go, going all the way down to, to the preference-less rock. Just read the comments sections of pretty much anything. <laughs> yeah, we've, <laughs> we've, got realize it. we've got it the worst. How preference 
we have become in our development. Um, and while we're on the subject, I want to thank all of our listeners who've taken the time to rate oh, and review yeah. this podcast yeah. and express their very positive preference for really what we glad. have to say here. That you're conscious. <laughs> you're real. And on Don't that note, uh, we are going to close off our discussion of the thinking fruit. I think we've arrived. Mm-hmm. We have made this we journey. Have, I love it. Done all the thinking I could possibly do today. Insulted a few psychologists along the way, perhaps. I mean, and what can you do? Let's close the door here on our mindless zombies and thinking fruit. Olivia, if you would please grandmaster us out of this. Woo! I hereby adjourn and declare closed this meeting of the secret order of alchemical actors until such a time as we get together and do it again. That's right. We encourage you, uh, if you've uh, been fascinated by the things that we've been saying, as we have been fascinated by sharing them and discussing them with you, to subscribe to this podcast, uh, to visit our website, www.occultconfessions.com. Olivia, they can reach us on social media, how? Um, on our Facebook, you can look us up by Occult Confessions, and then on Twitter, you can find us at Podcast Occult. Yes, and just one more reminder, we are looking for those sweet, sweet stars, any number of stars. All Hop on and stars. review us on iTunes. You don't have to say anything. You can just click a star. Actions speak louder than yes. words. Please, <laughs> please, please, I'm stars. begging you. Yes, James really is hungry for stars. Uh, <laughs> Um, and uh, we will see you uh, next week. Uh, next week's episode, we are going to feature. Is it is it di- multiple personalities? Yeah, that's next week. Right? Really? Next or week? it's five? Frederick Ma- no, Frederick Myers, I think, is the next one. Yes, because five, and then it's quantum physics. Quantum to, to physics close is what we're going to close out. out with. So we will be talking about multiple personalities. Is that right? Oh, James is checking. No, I gave up. Okay, join us next week. We'll be talking about multiple personalities. We think, and, and Olivia loses her mind. <laughs> and how these actually uh, further demonstrate the concept that we, in fact, are more than our brains. See you next time on Occult Confessions. Woo!